Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you were to take out uh, one of those things that we use from time to time, not so much in 2020, uh, but we will soon enough, uh, one of those things called a hymnal. <laughs> and if you were to crack it open uh, to one of the services, the service called Evening Prayer, uh, it begins with this particular response between leader and congregation. It goes like this, Jesus Christ is the light of of the world. The light no darkness can overcome. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The light no darkness can overcome. This is the theme of this new season of the church year that we enter into starting this week. In Epiphany, we move from the celebration of Christmas and that initial arrival of Jesus to a growing revelation of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. It's a season of growing light. It interestingly corresponds with what will be happening outside in nature uh, with each passing day since we have now gotten past that first day of winter. Uh, the days will progressively lengthen once more the light will grow and in the church even more so the light grows as we come to see more and more who Jesus is and what he has come to do that light has a way of illuminating everything that is as we come to know Jesus more and more everything in our lives is touched by his light. And we begin to see things more clearly, more accurately. This, I believe, is what it means when Jesus says that he is the truth. When he says, I'm the way, the, the truth, and the life. Or that when he tells his followers that they will know the truth, and the truth will set them free. In Jesus, we see clearly who God is. We begin to see clearly who we are. We begin to see more clearly what the purpose of life is, of our relationships, of our daily callings, of our use of our time, our abilities, our money, all of life. The light grows because Jesus is revealed. Today, God's Word reveals one of those key illuminating moments where we come to see more clearly who Jesus is and what he has come to do, what his mission is going to look like. Uh, as I was preparing this message, I was fascinated uh, by the fact that the lectionary, our uh, suggested list of, of readings for the church here that many churches use, uh, pair this reading from Mark chapter 1 with the Old Testament reading of Genesis chapter 1, the very first words of the Bible. I started looking at those two passages together, and some similarities came into focus. For example, in both instances, you have water. In both instances, you have the Holy Spirit 
present. In Genesis chapter 1, he is hovering over the surface of the waters. In Mark chapter 1, he is descending on Jesus as Jesus comes out of the water. And then after hearing and seeing the work of the Holy Spirit, you hear God speak. Genesis 1, he says, let there be light. Mark 1, he says, you are my beloved son, Jesus. In you I am well pleased. It's as if Mark, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is training us to see the baptism of Jesus as a signal that God is engaged in his act of creation once more. And if light was the beginning of God's first creation, the arrival of Jesus, the light of the world, is the beginning of God's work of new creation. A work that will bring light where there was darkness and life where there was death. With the time that we have remaining, I'd like for us to consider three ways in which the light that emanates from Jesus' baptism reveals the truth of who he is and what he's come to do. First, I believe this account from Mark chapter 1 illuminates the humility of Jesus as he comes to save us. Mark introduces us to the prophet who has shown up on the scene, the one preparing the way for the Lord, John the Baptist. He is held in respect by many, for all of the Judean country and all of Jerusalem, we're told, are coming out to him to hear his message and to receive his baptism. And this John says that after me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to bend down and untie the straps of his sandals. John says, I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John exalts Jesus and paints the picture of a mighty king so great and magnificent that John is not worthy to untie his shoes. But then in the very next verses, that mighty king arrives and he walks into the water of the Jordan to be baptized by John. There are other Gospels which uh, clue us into the confusion, at least the initial confusion that John has at this moment. For example, in Matthew chapter 3, we hear some dialogue between John and Jesus. And John says to Jesus, now wait a minute, I, I need to be baptized by you. Do, do you come to me? In this picture, we see the humility of our King. Jesus assures John that this is the plan. And it's really going to be a foreshadowing of the rest of Jesus' ministry. You'd expect a king, for example, to have a palace. But the Son of Man spends much of his ministry dependent on the hospitality of others. He has nowhere to lay his head. You'd expect a king to surround himself with an impressive entourage consisting of the best and the brightest. But Jesus spends his time with unlikely disciples and the lowest in society. 
You'd expect a king to be protected by armed and highly trained soldiers or secret service agents. But this king will willingly go to his horrible death alone, unprotected. This humility of Jesus is highly illuminating when we consider honestly how much we think about ourselves and care for ourselves first and foremost. All the advertising that we see around us on a day-by-day and even a a minute-by-minute basis is calling us to act in ways that come very naturally to us. To do what feels good, to do what makes us happy, to do what makes the most sense for me. But here in the water, we have a king who calls us to follow him. And as we do so, to deny ourselves, take up our cross. The way of Jesus is the way of humility, even in a world that encourages us to promote ourselves constantly. The baptism of Jesus reveals the humility of Jesus. Second, I believe the baptism of Jesus reveals the centrality of Jesus. A student of what we would now call the Old Testament would know that the people of God were looking for a Messiah, one who would be especially anointed by the Holy Spirit to operate as God's chosen agent, even as his son. In God's promise to King David, uh, back in 2 Samuel 7, he said that David will always have a son to reign on the throne. Moreover, God says that I will call him my son. And now here in the water, we hear the word that speaks from the heavens. You are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. This is not just God's Son from eternity, though He certainly is. This is the Son that we've been waiting for. The one through whom all of God's plans and purposes for the world will come true. God is going to work. And God is going to save. And God is going to do these things through Jesus. In other words, Jesus is at the center of everything that God does. Which means, by the way, that I'm not at the center. And you're not at the center either. Now, it's clear that God does love us dearly. That, after all, is the reason that he sent his son into the world. But we are not the center of the universe. Jesus is. And he always will be. What a blessing it is in our homes when Jesus takes center stage. What a blessing it is in the church when Jesus is at the center where he belongs. For where he is at the center, we flourish in his light and in his truth and in his love. Where Jesus is not at the center, 
beware. Whether it's a religious system being promoted out there or even a a pattern of thinking or behavior in your own personal life. The baptism of Jesus reveals that Jesus belongs at the center of everything we do and everything we are. Finally, the baptism of Jesus illuminates the love of God in Jesus for you. If we go back to the Garden of Eden, to Genesis chapter 3, the temptation that the serpent was selling was rooted in the lie that God's love only went so far, that he was holding something back from us, something that would make our lives truly good. And so we needed to go out and we needed to grab that good for ourselves. But in the baptism of Jesus, we see this beautiful truth that God has held nothing back from us. In fact, he himself descends to us to become one of us, to throw his lot in with us right there in the water. He joins himself to us so that we might become the ultimate beneficiaries of what he's going to do. His sacrifice for sin, his resurrection from the dead, There in the water, in the water of the Jordan River, and in the water of your own baptism, he says to you and to me, I am for you. I love you. I'm determined to work for your good, to save you. And I won't quit until I finish the job. I am yours. And you are mine. The humility of Jesus, the centrality of Jesus, the love of Jesus, they're all on display there in the water. And they continue to be on display as we continue this journey of epiphany as the light grows. So join us on the rest of the journey. In the name of Jesus, amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep our hearts and minds today and always in Christ Jesus, the light of the world. Amen.